Good afternoon. Welcome to Gambling with an Edge. I'm Bob Dancer. And I'm Richard Munchkin. Our guest today is mathematician, sports analyst, and prolific writer, William Ziemba. Bill Ziemba, welcome to Gambling with an Edge. Thank you. How did you get into sports betting analysis? One thing I did yesterday is I wrote out some uh, written response to your questions. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll read those, and then we can elaborate a little more. How did I get into sports betting? I was always interested in sports. Uh, I played basketball, baseball, football uh, when I was a kid. And I went to horse racing, Saratoga racetrack, uh, and so forth. Uh, one thing I mentioned is later on I was a member of the Oslo Rugby Club when I was uh, had a summer job in Oslo. Uh, I was a big fan of Ted Williams when I grew up. He had the same birthday as me. And now I'm a big fan of uh, Warren Buffett. We all have the same birthday. Um, so it's just another financial market to watch and bet. So it's it's kind of fun on the sports to watch them and bet on them uh, as well. Uh, and it's it's a it's a a good subject now because there's so much interest in it at the moment. And the the analysis that we do uh, from financial markets is is very similar in a way uh, as well. Uh, McLean and I are finishing a book called Sports Analytics, where where we do all sorts of sports. Uh, we do strategies, and then we do the betting. I do the betting. He helps with the strategies. All right. We're going to talk about that book later today. Um, most of our listeners revere Ed Thorpe for his blackjack book, Beat the Dealer. How does he figure into sports betting? Well, first of all, Ed is not actually interested that much in, in sports. Uh, he's a runner himself, but so forth. I know Ed from his 1971 Kelly Criteria paper, which I reprinted in my book, Stochastic Optimization Models in Finance, 1975. Ed was the first academic who was really interested in Kelly betting, and he used it in his blackjack system. Uh, that way you maximize long-run wealth most, but not all the time. Um, it's, a, it's a good strategy, but it's, it's risky short-term, but it's good long-term. The bets are aggressive, and the wealth path can be rocky, but long-term, the final wealth is usually large. Um, and we use the same ideas in sports betting uh, as, as well. Now, various people use this in the in the stock market um, as, as well. I talked this to uh, Jim Simons, head of um, Renaissance Medallion, the very top hedge fund. In in my calculations, the second best hedge fund uh, ever, pretty well, was uh, Thorpe. Um, and uh, I have a a nice paper on describing them in the book, Great Investment Ideas, if you want to look at that, that book. So Ed was instrumental in pushing the case for Kelly investing. We have a handbook that he and I did together with McLean 
called the Handbook of the Kelly Investment Criteria, which has the the mathematical papers and, and some of the practice of it. And the, in the practice of that, you can find the practice of Kelly in in Great Investment Ideas book. While we're Did talking ever... about Ed, uh, while we're talking about Ed, um, you came up with a method of beating horse racing in the 80s, and Ed was the one you called to uh, sort of go in with you to um, he well, was the one what, basically what, what, who. What, what actually happened? Well, first of all, let me just explain the the, the idea of of the system. Win bets at the racetrack are essentially efficient. There's a bit of a bias called the favorite long shot bias, but essentially the odds for win at the racetrack by the betters is fairly correct. So you can use those probabilities to price more complicated bets. Uh, initially, in our, in our Beat the Racetrack books, which are, they're all on Amazon and uh, so forth. You can find them there. They, they, what they do is they price place and show bets, which are more complicated. And then we use Kelly criteria to figure out the, 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 the bet size. So, so that, that was, uh, that, that sort of stuff. Um, so what happened was Ed wrote the foreword for the book, Beat the Racetrack, because remember he had written, uh, Beat the Dealer and then Beat the Market. He has two books and so we did Beat, Beat the Racetrack. And what Ed nicely said was, this is one of the gambling systems ever devised that actually works. <laughs> so it, it's kind of a simple system. You, you watch the prices. Later, what we did is I, I worked for some of the uh, hedge fund syndicates in Hong Kong and Australia. And uh, they do professional betting at a, at a large scale, a huge scale, uh, betting uh, millions. Uh, and, and that's very successful. And what you do is pricing the bets is, is crucial to the thing. There's handicapping and then there's pricing the bets. Basically what you want to do is bet on the things where you have an edge, like, like what you say here, gambling with an edge, uh, et cetera. So that's, that's sort of how, how that works. And Ed was instrumental in, in uh, backing the system back in 1984. And then I took him to the first Breeders' Cup uh, at Hollywood Park in 1984, and we tested out the system there. And there's a write-up about that, and uh, there's a chapter in the new book, Sports Analytics. Sports Analytics is basically done, except it's going to take two or three months for the publisher to get it out. Uh, and, and in there, we do lots of sports, and, and we can do a lot of stuff on racing. And we have the write-up of the day that we took Thorpe to the uh, Breeders' Cup. So related to racing, uh, at least one other name that is familiar to our listeners, um, Bill Benter, who's in the Blackjack Hall of Fame. Well, Bill, Bill Benter he, he was, has, was the, uh, the girl. Uh, and uh, Hosh and I helped him early on. Uh, that was, uh, and I, I met him in the ni 1993 
in Phoenix for an operations research conference. And, and he wrote a book, a paper in our book, um, Efficiency of Racetrack Betting Markets, which that's the Bible for the Hong Kong uh, racing teams. Um, and what Benzer did was two things. He, he, he actually looked at the prices, and it took him a while to start winning, but then he got a system together well, and he was very successful. And what he did is he actually made it work in, in Hong Kong. There, in the early days, there were you could get into the odds pools every 12 seconds. So that was a big advantage that they had. And you had computerized uh, betting, and and um, uh, he was very very successful. It's it extremely good. Uh, his uh, the main paper that he wrote is in our book, Efficiency of Racetrack Betting Markets. The original copies were expensive. Uh, some sold for ten thousand dollars on eBay, uh, but there's there's an eighty dollar one that's uh, available. Uh, now I did a second edition. So that's efficiency of racetrack betting markets. You'll find Benter's paper in there. And, uh, he was a very successful guy and he's still, uh, still active in the business. Uh, I was the, the expert witness in a court case of, of one of the fellows who worked with him, created his own team later. So I, I did that in Hong Kong the last a few years. Would that have been Alan Woods? No, no. Uh, Woods, I never met. Uh, he has one paper in one of my books, but uh, no, it's it's another group that basically. Well, it's a kind of a complicated story. What happened was this was a guy who worked with Benter for fifteen years. He knew the horses well. He was not Chinese. He hired a whole bunch of Chinese uh, masters in statistics students, and they created a new model. But they also hired a statistician, Chinese statistician, and he developed a better model. And in his model, basically, the Chinese statistician basically stole the model. Uh, and the court case was about proving that he stole the model. And what was interesting, there was the partnership um, who was, they had their model, and then the Chinese guy had his model. And it was a very interesting consulting job to, to do this. And what we found out was that the, the Chinese model was essentially a levered version of the other model and uh, we had eight years of data of all the bets, a lot of bets, huge amounts of bets. And and uh, it was a complicated case. And uh, it, it shows how vulnerable people are to uh, crooks in the world we're living in. There's a lots of crooks these days. <laughs> They're everywhere, especially in the United States <laughs> and so forth. Um so anyway, that was that was an interesting case uh, of, of working on it, and so forth. But uh, ben, Benter, Benter's role in that was just to recommend me as as a uh, expert witness. Okay. 
So he wasn't officially involved in it. It was these other people. All right. Changing subjects. What is risk arbitrage? Now, regular arbitrage is buy gold in New York for so much and ship it to Pakistan for two times the price. So the regular arbitrage is to buy and sell the same thing for different prices. Now, regular arbitrage does exist quite a bit, and you can construct them. But what exists more is risk arbitrage. Now, risk arbitrage is, is actually what Thorpe did in his fund, uh, in his Prince Newport fund. So he did this with warrants. Now, I discovered risk arbitrage so that independently of Thorpe, I went to Hong, to, I'm sorry, to Mexico City in 1982. I was consulting for the Canadian sports pool. We were designing sports games, lottery games based on sports, baseball, football, etc. Now, when, when we went there, we went to the high lie, and in the high lie, they have betting on the game throughout the, the whole way. So that's how I discovered risk arbitrage. Risk arbitrage, you make an initial bet on, say, Team A, and then you want to bet on Team B later at a better price. But let me give you the example I like the best. The example I like the best is the last Super Bowl. As you know, Tom Brady got into the Super Bowl, and it was against Kansas City. Kansas City was favored. Mahomes had won MVP the previous year, and and Brady had won a whole bunch of years, uh, etc. So you would assume that one of those two would be the MVP of the game if uh, whoever won the game. But the interesting bet was on Gronkowski. Gronkowski was brought in by, by Brady from New England, and he had retired. And he was used very little during the whole year and very little in the in playoffs. But he holds the records for the most amount of TDs in Super Bowl history for a tight end. So you would make the assumption that Brady might rely on his reliable guy. So the odds that Gronk would be the MVP were 188 to 1. So you could get wow. 188 to 1 to do that. Now, you know that he's not going to actually be the MVP, but what you want is to get some 188 to 1 and then exit the trade later at a lower price. So the first TD went to Gronk, so the odds of 188 dropped a whole bunch. And then the second TD went to Gronk, and then the odds were 6 to 1. So what it was is you could cover at 6 to 1 and get out of the trade. Wait, how do you so bet the other side of 
Oh, you, are you using Betfair where you can bet either side? This was Betfair. This was Betfair. Okay. So, so you 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 basically bought at 188 to to one, and then you sold at six to one. So you're 182 ahead times the amount that you bet, say 100. That would be a, give you 1,820 profit, so forth. So that that's a good arbitrage. Now that's the kind of stuff we use in in um, in in um, NFL football, and I've just done the NBA finals, which were good uh, risk arbitrage. So the, the way it works in the basketball game is you you go long one team, say it's Milwaukee. Okay, so you go Milwaukee, and then what you try to do is cover the other side. At, at a better price. Now, when you get a, when you get a better price, if Milwaukee gets way ahead, then the other team is longer odds, so you then get the other team, etc. Now, in basketball, you get about 20 of these changes uh, per game. You get them all the time. So anyway, so on the on the risk arbitrage, um, it works quite well in NFL football. In the uh, Doctor Z's NFL guidebook. I do 10 years of betting uh, there because you get an awful lot of these risk arbitrages in, in the, especially in the fourth quarter. And then uh, in, in the new book, uh, McLean and Zimba sports analytics there, there's uh, three more years of NFL. And then I would uh, think this, there's all, I would, go ahead. I would think this would work really well in political elections. Uh, it, it actually, it, it, it has. I've actually bet on the, on the 2024 election. <laughs> so. Already? Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- th- there's one complication on bet there. When you make a bet for 2024, they won't settle the bet till then. Okay. So the first thing that you know about, um, this the arbitrage stuff is if you go for the president of the United States, who will be president? At the moment, the odds are um, Biden about six to one, uh, Harris about six to one, uh, Trump was around fourteen to one, and uh, some of the other Republicans are higher things. So here's here's the bet I made. First of all, if you short 25 of them, which is basically what I did, you actually win on 24 because there's only one person who can be president. Okay? So I don't know how it's going to turn out with Trump. We all know that he's a slippery a crook, but he's been able to evade uh, getting – he's always in trouble. But they never actually pin anything, <laughs> so it's it's really hard to tell how it's going to turn out. Whether whether they're going to do something legally against him or something. There's a lot of stuff going on, etc. So I'm short Trump, and I'm short the guy in Florida, and I'm short um, uh, a whole bunch of the Republicans. I'm also short a whole bunch of the Democrats, who I, I don't think will win. 
so forth. Now, one nice thing about the way the betting works on Betfair is when you short uh, someone, you have to use up margin, the margin of the money you have. But then when you short somebody else, you collect a bit of the fee. So let's suppose I short uh, Trump for uh, 400, which is what I did. Okay, so that that means that means about four thousand of margin. And then when when I short um, other people, uh, say for for fifty pounds or so, uh, then I, I collect fifty pounds, so I, I get back some of the margin. So that that's a way of doing that. Now the nice thing about this kind of betting is you short the ones you think are going to lose and you don't go along the things you think are going to win. So more than likely at the moment, uh, either Biden or Harris would be the next president, but we don't know that's several years from now, et cetera. So in these kind of bets, it's actually optimal to do shorting of a lot of them and not going long the the so-called ones with an advantage because what you what you really want is to win all the shorts and then have one of the the ones that was the winner type that's biden or or or, uh harris in this case actually win the election and then you win all of them so and i have about 25 shorts so that's that's one way of doing that of, of, of betting on, on that kind of thing. That's kind of a, a certain type of risk arbitrage. The standard risk arbitrage is, is kind of a football game. So you're, you're like, like, like Tampa Bay against Kansas City, which one will win, et cetera. So that, that's the thing. By the way, there's a, a hopeful write up of that game in the sports analytics book. Um, what uh, McLean and I do is we write up these uh, football games, these uh, seasons, and then we we put them in the in the books, uh, and and also in Un- Wilmot magazine. Unfortunately for our listeners, uh, most of our listeners are in the United States and and don't have access to a betting exchange. Um, well, there is a way so- if, if you want to be a little bit shady. <laughs> If you want to be a little bit shady, what you do is you get a VPN, <laughs> and and that will hook you into London. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, and you the, you need a you need a beard as well because yeah you need a beard as well because they you know they won't accept you as a U.S. customer so you need somebody you know in London. But anyway, yes, it can be done, and our sharper uh, listeners are already doing yeah, it. Yes. That, that, um, that, yeah, you're, you're, so. you're right. You're right. You're right. You need someone in London who has a um, uh, some kind of utility bill, some friend of yours yeah. or something. So that that's right. Now, the sports is, is moving into the U.S. though, in terms of more states, and it's they're talking about moving it into Canada as well. <laughs> so in future, there'll, there'll probably be more of this. Yeah. Very good. Now, your system for betting the NFL 
relies on efficient sports betting markets? Oh, well, okay, first there's two things. The odds that are set by Las Vegas, uh, so you'll, you'll find a game and it'll say, Kansas City is favored by three points. We, there are formulas to translate the three points into probability that each team will win. We have those formulas in in our book, uh, the, the Dr. Z's uh, uh, NFL Guidebook. You can find the formulas in there. Now, you'll also find in there a chapter where we actually looked at the odds and see are they actually efficient, like an efficient stock market. And the answer is they are. So more or less, the Las Vegas odds are very accurate. So the only way you can win is to have superior information. Like, for example, is Aaron Rodgers really going to play for for Green Bay this year, or is he not? So forth, you know. So if you have superior information on some player who's key, that could be the case. Or the other way, which is the way I do it, is the risk arbitrage. So you will make a bet on team A and then try to make a bet on team B so that you have a arbitrage. And the formula is if you multiply the odds on A times the odds on B, if that's greater than one, you have an arbitrage. Now, there's British odds and U.S. odds. With British odds, you bet three. I'm sorry, you bet one, and the odds are three to one. If you win, you collect three. In U.S. odds, if you if you bet three, bet one to collect three, the odds are two to one. That's, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit sloppy here. So the U.S. odds are the British odds minus one. So so that, that's how you work the formulas. And I have a tutorial in the uh, uh, in the sports analytics uh, book. Uh, prob- probably two months for that one to come out. We're basically done, and it just depends how long the publisher needs to, uh, to print it. World Scientific is, is doing it. All right, we are now going to take a brief break for a commercial message. We'll be back good. With, okay. Very good, guys. with William Zemba talking about uh, getting an advantage at sports betting and betting the market. The South Point has more than 10,000 gains returning at least 99%. This is more than anyone else has. In August, Play $1,800 slots of video poker Monday through Thursday and pick up a free logo gift celebrating the South Point 400 stock car race. A week two is coming up. It's a unisex pullover. And week three is a Yeti tumbler. If you earn and pick up all four gifts, you receive $100 in free play. Although the gifts are better than average for casino gifts, the Yeti tumbler, for example, retails for about $30. Even if you value them as being worth zero, earning and collecting all of them is worth an additional 1.4%. For locals, there's 
play Exeter and Y promotion every Friday and Saturday if they have your email address. If you haven't given them your email address yet, you can do it online at southpointcasino.com slash club, and you can be eligible for this promotion. If you do it by any Tuesday, you'll be eligible for the following weekend and each subsequent weekend of the month. On Sunday, September 26th, South Point 400 NASCAR Cup race at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Tickets are half price at the casino box office if you use your points. Hey guys, this is Colin from BlackjackApprenticeship.com. And if you're serious about card counting, I'd encourage you to check out the Blackjack Apprenticeship membership. It has the training tools you'll need to beat the game, like our comprehensive video course and our training suite, so you can learn each skill and virtually test yourself before ever stepping foot in a casino. It also includes the tools you'll need to succeed, like our pro betting software, casino database, results tracking software, and access to a community of like-minded advantage players to network with in our members forum and chat room software. You can find out more at blackjackapprenticeship.com. Videopoker.com is the best place to play lots of games. If you sign up for the gold membership, $8.95 a month or $79.95 a year, this allows you to get correction on most of the games. The game of the week is Triple Triple Bonus Poker. This is an ultra-high variance game. It's similar to Triple Double Bonus in that you get paid 800 for one for all aces with a 2, 3, or 4 kicker. But this time you also get 800 for one for all twos, threes, and fours with an ace kicker. This is an additional 400 for one over triple double bonus, and it occurs approximately every 1300 hands, excuse me, 13,000 hands. To pay for this, straights are reduced from paying four for one to three for one, which costs a bit more than 1% becomes straights come about approximately 1 in 97 hands in this game. The variance is around 140, which will make you wish you stayed home if you don't hit one of the big ones today. All right. We're back talking to William Zimba. And you talked about Betfair, and you made a comment somewhere that the Betfair charges inefficiently so what yes. does that mean yes. and how can yes. players take advantage well of there there's there's two parts to this the first part is even though they have a flawed system <coughs> for collecting fees they still make billions because there's so much betting the volume is incredible now the flaw <coughs> is the usual, the usual situation on various bets um, is if you bet like a oh, hundred, <coughs> you get charged a part of the one hundred. Now in bet there, you can bet one hundred, two hundred, four hundred, six hundred, etc on a whole bunch of bets on the same thing. And in total, you bet a thousand and you wind up winning 25, 25 pounds. 
they charge a commission on the 25 pounds, not on the 1,000. So they got into trouble a couple of years ago with bookmakers who came into their business and took a lot of their business away because they could undercut them with lower fees uh, and 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 also uh, do it the the regular way where you take a cut of the, of the thing. So the the the, the business, some of the business is taken away, but their business is unbelievable. They they're betting on almost anything you can think of, and the volume is is in the is in the billions. So they do quite well, but it is a flawed way of of computing the uh, the games. The other thing they do is the Sharpies. See, I, I have an account that has about a 5% commission because I'm not I, – I, I do it more for entertainment and to win some, et cetera. Um, but a Sharpie will get an account down to like 1%, and you know, who, who bets an awful lot. For example, I consulted with a guy in London a few years ago was betting the races. He had a 1% account. And what Betfair does with these people is it forces them to take some of their profits. Uh, so they're, they're doing a bit of that. So they're, they're discouraging the ones who win a lot by taking some of their gains. But they, they still do fine. But the, the basic idea is flawed, but they still make huge amounts of, of gains. Before I, I forget here, uh, if you go back to racing, I have a, a new book a year or so ago called Exotic Betting at the Racetrack, which prices all the all the kind of bets. Uh, it has handicapping and actual bets and pricing. That's Exotic Betting at the Racetrack, and and I also have a memoir book. If anybody likes travel. I have 100 pages of travel all around the, the world uh, in a book called um, Adventures of a Modern Renaissance Academic in Investing in Gambling. And I have all the stories of working with a lot of the greats. Uh, I worked with Harry McPike in, in Nassau, who was a futures trader. I worked with Thorpe. Uh, I, I worked with a, a, a crook in uh, the in, in the Caribbean with different people, <laughs> with Hong Kong people, et cetera. So there's all the stories there of that, plus travel, plus research, et cetera. That's Adventures of a Modern Renaissance oh, Academic. All right. How about lotteries? Some lotteries are readable. Lotteries are, are very, very interesting. I have a very good survey paper called Racetracks and Lotteries, which I will send to you guys. Um, and you. let me tell you the, the, the two things that are in there. The possible, first of all, I was a consultant for many years for the BC Lottery Commission, for the Canadian Sports Pool, and for the Singapore Pools. Uh, and some of them are sports lotteries and some are reg regular lotteries. If we stay with the regular lotteries, uh, I have a guidebook called the 649 Guidebook, uh, 
it's kind of a yellow, little yellow thing that, that does, it's, it's older, 1986, but it still has relevant stuff for now. Uh, and that ha- that discusses various things on lotteries. Now, unpopular numbers are what you play. So some of the numbers are unpopular because people don't play them. So, so if you play the unpopular numbers, your advantage goes up. However, it's difficult to win because the advantage is mostly in the bigger prizes, which have low probability of winning. So, uh, so there. But anyway, uh, people have, there was a group in, in Florida that won a lottery using my actually best unpopular numbers. Uh, the unpopular numbers tend to be the high numbers and the numbers ending in zeros and nines. And the, the, uh, popular numbers, which, uh, the prizes are about one seventh as big with, with, uh, with popular numbers. There are things like 33, uh, Marilyn Monroe's uh, birthday, 36, uh, low numbers, et cetera, seven, et cetera. The unpopular numbers are like 42, 43, 44, uh, nine, things like that, et cetera. Now, I was always interested in the concept of buying the pot, buying all the numbers. And in fact, there was a lottery in British Columbia, uh, it was five out of 40. And the jackpot was only paid to the five, uh, five out of five. You had to get five correct numbers, but there was no second prize at all. So what happened was nobody was winning this lottery. So over time, the jackpot got higher and higher and higher because people thought it was impossible to win. But it, it became a, a tremendous advantage to buy all the, all the all the numbers. I actually talked to Thorpe about possibly doing it. We didn't do it, but we could have done it, and it was there for six weeks. So I was interested in figuring out the mathematics of when does it pay to buy the pot, and I wrote two papers with a guy called uh, Stephen Moffat. And Stephen Moffat worked for Susquehanna, in the 80s, and Susquehanna were the ones who were getting jackpots all around the, the world, etc. And so Steve and I figured out the things. And I have two papers. I will send you these two papers. Uh, they were published in the Wilmot Magazine, and uh, you can distribute them if, if you wish. One of them is on 649 uh, directly and one is on the general case of general lotteries. So I have those two two things. Basically, what you want is it's optimal to to buy the pot when there's a large pot and not as many people playing it. Okay. Normally, what happens is as the jackpot gets bigger and bigger more people play. And that's what we have in, in horse racing, in the uh, uh, the jackpots in, in horse racing now. Uh, the so-called rainbow 
pick six is a similar thing to lotteries. Let me just discuss that for a sec. It that's a case <laughs> where I'm sorry, can I just, just cover this for just a sec? The the regular pick six is hard to win uh because the prices are high, uh one or two dollars, and you need a lot of combinations to do it. So what they did is they invented a new new thing called the rainbow. The rainbow has twenty cent tickets which means you can buy a lot of tickets. And, and the thing is, so what happens is part of the prize is carried over when it's not won, and part is paid out to the regular pick six winners. Um, the the jackpot is actually the unique pick six, but you don't get the unique pick six very often because with 20-cent tickets, people normally win the pick six. So they become large jackpots. Anyway, I have... Uh, discussion of this in the um, sports analytics book. You talked about buying the pot, which is theoretically easy to understand, but logistically... Oh, it's, 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 it's hard. It, it's hard. It, it's hard to do it. The, the, the five out of 41, there were 600,000 combinations, and it was doable. With... with um, uh, with the bigger ones and so forth. But there are groups who are trying to do this. Uh, there so are when, the, when the lottery, who... yeah, when the lottery started in Illinois, which I, it, I'm going back 40 years, I think, um, the, the, com there were only 6 million combinations and, and the tickets were 50 cents. And there, it reached the point where, um, there was a big overlay and I called my father who, was in Chicago and uh I explained it to him. He put together a little consortium and they called the lottery commission and said, We just want to buy one of every ticket. And um, you know, just put us they down for one of every combination. And uh the lottery people kind of freaked out. And after yeah, some discussion they, they basically Yeah. And they basically they came back and said, You have to buy the tickets yourself. And that was, yeah. I believe, before the days of quick picks, which means they would have had to have been filled out manually. So obviously it never went anywhere because that would probably be yeah. impossible. Can I, can I give you the one example we did? Uh, yeah. I, can, I consulted for BC a lot. Mainly what I did was to help them fix up games where they made an error. They would de de design a game. And it would have an error in it. And, and so there was problems with it. So it would fix them. So I knew the people. I knew the director very well. And it was so forth. So they had a, a, one case where they had a lot of money on unclaimed tickets. So they decided to have a deal. They would, they would give you a, a bonus. So they had a lottery with expected value 41 cents per dollar. But they, the, for the giveaway, they gave you six tickets. So you got six tickets for the price of one, which means instead of having an expected value of 41 cents, it was like 240. So you had a, a big advantage. Uh, so, so the optimal thing there is to buy as many tickets as you possibly can. So a few of us, uh, around the university, 
we bought 13,000 tickets. And that was pretty good because the expected value was we should have made, um, we should have basically slightly more than doubled our money. We should have collected about 30,000, and which is what we actually did. So, so we, we bought these 13,000 tickets in different places and, and, uh, it's, it's kind of a big job to look through all the tickets to find the winners. <laughs> so we, we did that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's possible to do that. Now there have been groups who, who basically buy all the tickets. There are combination tickets that you can use those to manufacture a way to cover the board. Uh, et cetera. Actually, I worked on the, on the mathematics of that with, with a, a guy who was visiting, uh, from France. Uh, and, and we have a paper. I never published it actually, uh, about how we could cover the board using these combination tickets. Uh, so that, that's one way to cover the board better. Um, but there's a great relationship between horse racing, uh, exotic bets, and lotteries. And in, in my in my paper, which I'll send you, uh, the, the, I talk about that a lot. If any of our listeners were interested in doing well in the stock market between now and the end of the year, what would you recommend that they do? Well, the first thing, fellas, if you want to invite me for another one of these talks for an hour, I can do the stock market because <laughs> it's a bit complicated. But let me give you the, the three-minute answer now. First of all, we went through a difficult period in 2020 with a vicious uh, uh, COVID attack during February to June 2020. That was vicious in the stock market with the volatility going very high and a huge drop and then a huge rally based on two things, very low interest rates and extremely high stimulus. Now, this stimulus is continuing to now. Now is a golden period for trading in the stock market Uh, ever since. July 1 of 2020, it's been a golden period, and it's it's been very, very easy to do well. Now, we've got a lot of interesting things going in the market. Uh, we have a lot of stocks trading for enormous prices based on uh, new people in the market, the so-called Robin Hood investors. Uh, and who gang gang up on uh, hedge funds, et cetera. So anyway, so the basic idea is the market is good now. Inflation is rising around the world. The Fed is eventually going to have to raise interest rates, and that's when you have trouble. But so far, they don't want to raise interest rates. It's hard in the United States to raise interest rates because there is so much debt. Uh, so it's going to be hard for that. So they're on a fine line, but it's been a, a golden stock market, been very, very good at things. Uh, for example, I noticed today 
Moderna is up another sixty dollars. Uh, my wife bought it at uh, it's four hundred and eighty. She bought it at like forty or something. <laughs> and like Tesla, she bought Tesla at a low price and it's multiplied like crazy. So there've been a lot of stocks that have really done well. So it's fine. I'm a more conservative investor in a way. I have two sides. I have my my gambling side, which does futures in trading because I, I was running a fund. And then I have my preservation of capital. And my preservation of capital, I have three stocks I love. Microsoft, they always make money. Berkshire Hathaway, you have Warren Buffett, very smart guy, and Apple Computer. So those three are, are dynamite. And I'm always playing options on them and long positions etc. And in the family, we did well with, with Apple because we started investing in Apple in 1985, <laughs> 1995, I'm sorry. And so the shares we bought then are 25 cents and the stock is 100 and, 140 or so. <clears throat> the, the high one, 140, 148 or so. So I like those three stocks. They're they're solid, they they always make money, and and they have good management, et cetera. Now the high flyers, you can look at the COVID type stocks, et cetera. Oh, I must mention books that I have that you might want to read. Yeah. <laughs> Calendar anomalies looks at anomalies based on the time of the year, and that book uh, has all sorts of stuff like options expiry, turn of the month, turn of the year, holidays, this kind of stuff. That one's called Calendar Anomalies and Arbitrage. And then I have a book called Stock Market Crashes. And in Stock Market Crashes, we have all sorts of models for predicting crashes. And I, I watch them all. Because who knows what's going to happen now? None of the models <coughs> are in the danger zone now, but it's very expensive. So when things get very expensive, they can certainly go down. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm kind of coughing. Yeah, bless you. Um... So sports analytics. I think that's your last question. Uh, we cover high lies basketball, baseball, NFL football, and horse racing. Can I tell you one of the things we have that I like a lot? In the baseball, we ask the following question. If you allow a batter to bat in all nine positions, who would be the best? And we did a calculation on that. And then we have also an analysis of who had the best seasons? And it turns out of the 10 best seasons ever in baseball, they're all by three people. And you can you can guess who they, they are. They are, of course, Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, and Barry Bonds. Uh, one of my investors was a baseball player who was 
was recruited to be the second baseman of the Boston Red Sox, but didn't want to go. And he was friendly with people like Ted Williams, and he related the following story of Williams. When Williams was retired, he was playing around uh, at, at the baseball thing, and somebody said, I'm going to put a glove way in the outfield and bet you that if you have five swings, you can't hit that glove with, with, uh, with, with the ball that we pitched you. So anyway, so William says, well, I think I can, I can hit that glove. You know, I'm so accurate. Anyway, Williams hit the glove four out of five times. <laughs> wow. So, wow. So, you know, so there's some of these guys that are pretty good. And he relates that Bonds was extremely good. I know that Williams was extremely good at not switching at bad pitches. So if, if the pitch was half an inch outside of the, of the strike zone, he wouldn't, he wouldn't swing at it. And, and there's a nice picture I have. Uh, what would his batting average be if the pitcher threw the ball in certain positions? And and in the Hall of Fame, there is a, a display of this. And I I put this in my book, Adventures. My, my Adventures has all sorts of stuff like this in there, and et, et cetera. And, and uh, Williams was great. So anyway, of, of, the, of, the, of the greatest hitters of all time, the greatest years, were um, by by uh, Bonds, uh, Ruth, and Williams. We're going to have to cut off the answer to this. We got one more question for you. Now you have a large number of books that we've talked about. Currently, there's a sale on these books. Um, tell us about that. Well, actually, World Scientific has a sale of forty percent off at the moment, so you you have to buy just three. Um, I have to tell you my your new book. I write your new book to understand. On there? I'm sorry, what? Is your new book that is going to be out in a few months? Can that be <laughs> Not quite yet. No. The new book is going so to take two or three that. months to get out. But it's called Sports Analytics. If you look for it uh, around uh, October, November, it should be out then. And I've got we've got a lot of nice stuff in there. We've got a lot of stuff on strategies uh, of, of the best way to play. Can I tell you one strategy that uh, a colleague of ours put, and we put a paper in the book? You're going for the first down. You're going for the first. First of all, all the books are on Amazon, and they're all on World Scientific. World Scientific will give you the, the better discount. Though, so if you go to that, and I, I sent this to uh, Bob. Uh, of, of yeah, the I, I got it. We'll, on, put on, yeah. Yeah. we'll put so the link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, we'll put the link in the show notes. Students, people can do that. They get forty percent. The the rest of the books are all on on uh, on Amazon, uh, etc. So there's different things. I have a lot of stuff that's theoretical on portfolio management, futures, etc. Things that you might think about, Great Investment Ideas has all sorts of good stuff in it. Uh, the Crash Book is wonderful. Um, I, I like the uh, NFL Guidebook, if you like football, because we, we talked about the history of, of football plus the batting and, and all, the, all the things. 
And of course, I like my memoirs one, Adventures, because I've got a lot of nice stuff in there. Uh, and I, I have pictures of, of around the world, different travel of different places. Um, and uh, uh, let's see, those are some some of the main ones. Uh, and if Very you good. just look under me, I, I have a website, williamtzimba.com. You can see that. Uh, that has stuff. We'll link to that as well. And I guess you can put email if you want, if people want to contact. W-T-Z-I-M-I at M-A-C dot com. W-T-Z-I-M-I at Mac dot com. And I like to respond to people. I view myself as a, a professor educating myself and other people. So I, I like to have contact with people. And uh, I taught for many years. I still give lectures. And... Um, uh, I enjoy that. Very good. And the Thank books you, I, I enjoy doing, and, and they have a lot. And I don't mind giving out the ideas of how to do trades in the books. Uh, it, it hasn't affected my trade. I still do the same trades. <laughs> and, and the markets are big enough so that there's plenty of room for everybody. Well, Thank that's, you. that's great. Thank you. I'm sure you will be hearing from our listeners. Okay, very good. And uh, do, you, do you send around a tape of the of the interview, or how does that work? I will we'll send you a link. We'll talk about that after. Yeah. We'll, we'll okay, talk about very that good, guys. Okay, and I, I have a couple things to send you, so I will I will try to find them right now. Okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, we're right now at the end of our show. We have a recommended section. So, Richard, you get to go first. Do you have a recommended for our listeners today? <clears throat> yeah, my uh, since we were talking about the stock market and thing uh, and stuff, uh, my uh, recommendation is I've mentioned before a podcast called Planet Money, and um, currently they are doing they are running a series uh, called Summer School, and um, it this is basically the most basic. Uh, treatment of how to invest in the stock market, you know, for someone who really doesn't know anything about it, this is a, a rudimentary uh, introduction to uh, to the stock market and how to trade. And and even if you do, even if you do know some about it, the, the episodes are very entertaining. And the second episode in particular uh, is it has a story in it about. Uh, Warren Buffett basically calling out hedge fund managers and saying that hedge funds are overpriced and, you know, you shouldn't put your money into these things and that he was willing to bet that he could outkick a hedge fund, um, you know, easily. And one of these hedge fund guys took him up on the bet, right? And so in 2007, they bet a million dollars that Warren Buffett could outperform him for 10 years. At the end of 10 years, whoever done better would win the million dollars. And so it was the hedge fund and Warren Buffett picked an S&T Vanguard index fund, which is what both Warren Buffett and Ed Thorpe recommend to the average investor is to buy an index fund. Anyway, they went 10 years. 
Warren Buffett won the million dollar bet. The index fund outperformed the hedge fund. Uh, so it, 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 it's a great series. Uh, again, that's a podcast. It's called Planet Money, and they're currently running their summer school. Very good. My recommend today is about storytelling. I've told you before, Richard and I are into storytelling. Richard actually has three links on Facebook on three different stories he's told. These are 99-second stories, which are short, of course, but they all have beginning, middle, and end. Richard happens to be humorous and well-delivered, and they're about everyday things. Um, One is about taking a shower. One is about getting a hole in one of his socks, and one is about not cutting his hair during the pandemic. They are delightful. Uh, Listen to one or all. I promise you'll enjoy them. Dr. Z, are you still on the line, and do you have a recommendation? Yeah. Actually, can I go back to Buffett? First of all, Buffett has a 56-year track record, making 20% per year. And he has uh, the S&P gained about 10. So he's about double the S&P over uh, a 56-year period. Now, Thorpe actually convinced me to invest in in Berkshire a long time ago, which was a good idea. Thorpe himself invested earlier on as, as well, and et cetera. And Buffett loses on one-third of the month. He doesn't win all the time, but one-third of the months he loses, he, he loses, and two-thirds of the months he gains. Now, you can do see an analysis of the, of the Buffett in uh, Great Investment Ideas, not my book, Great Investment Ideas, but he's always a, a good investor. Now, with hedge funds, some of them will, will certainly beat there. Uh, I have two papers and great investment ideas on evaluating the greatest investors. Who are the greatest investors? Now, I I have a model in there where I modify the so-called sharp uh, evaluation method. And the bottom line is Buffett improves, and he's a one. Thorpe was a 13.8. And Renaissance Medallion was a 26.4. So there, it's possible to, to be better uh, as well. How did Thorpe do it? Thorpe did it with risk arbitrage, carefully done. How did Renaissance Medallion do it? Hire a hundred brilliant mathematicians to create long trades that are eight seconds <laughs> and, and, and do that. And they, they do that. So, so some of the hedge funds can, in fact, uh, beat it. On average, Buffett is right that you'll do better with uh, S&P index fund or in, or better invest in, in Buffett stock, which is double the S&P over time. So in terms of, of, of ideas, I always push my books. I don't make any money on the books. <laughs> I have to make money trading, but but the thing is, I, I get the pleasure of people using the ideas. So uh, I mentioned a bunch of the books. Uh, you can uh, see what what you might like. So that that's fine. The the book that I did with Thor, the Handbook of the Kelly Investment Criteria, 
is the one that actually sells the most. That sells sells a lot. Part of the reason that it sells a lot is Thorpe got a five hundred thousand advance for his book, A Man for All Markets. And when he did uh, marketing for that, he pushed the big uh, handbook. So uh, a lot of people get that one. But it's it's quite good. We've got we've got lovely stuff. We got great reviews. So thank you very much for having me. If you thank want you for to being have here. another one on the stock market, I, I can do a whole hour on the stock market easily because uh, there's a lot going on. <laughs> very good. And I, I do have models for looking at crashes in the in the in the stock market crash book which i did with with a russian mathematician and a, a french uh uh another mathematician in in france go out and hit lots of royal flushes everybody good day <laughs>